to this very special edition of Faith Is, this Christmas edition of Faith Is. I'm so glad you've honored us with giving us a little of your time today to listen to the story of Christmas. We hope told in an imaginative, helpful, inspirational, maybe even a little bit challenging way. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We have a great church there and a lot of wonderful people. And and we as a church are really pleased to be, to be bringing you this Christmas special. We hope you will benefit from it because we do it for your benefit, not for ours. And we want you to benefit from hearing about the Christmas story. Well, the Christmas story can be told in a lot of ways, and we're going to take a look at a few of those today. And really what I think we ought to do is we ought to start with this question. Do you see what I see? Sleeping in the night, he will bring us through. 
Well, or several questions you might say from that recording, that song. I love questions. I hope you love questions. But, you know, it really starts out by saying, do you hear what I hear? And I'm not so concerned that that anybody hears what I hear. I'm really concerned that you hear what God wants you to hear. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to focus on helping all of us hear from God and, and benefit from what he has to say to us. Well, and we're going to do a little more than, than here. We're going to see the sights of Christmas. We're going to use our imagination, and that's the only way we can do it this way. But we're going to imagine what God is showing us as we, as we see the story of Christmas. And we're going to hear the sounds of Christmas. Now we're going to talk about some things, and I'm going to play some things, and, and we're going to listen to those and, and really listen for more than what I say. Listen for more than the music that we play. Listen for God, because I'm convinced without a doubt that God is going to speak to you. You let him speak to you and you tell him you're willing to hear. And the last thing we're going to work on today is not just seeing the sights or hearing the sounds. We're going to talk about knowing the truth because God does tell us the truth and we need to believe the truth. We need to receive the truth. Many years ago, I heard a songwriter. He was a pastor in Southern California. Derek Johnson's his name. And he wrote a song. I don't think I've ever heard the song, but I have always remembered this part of the, of the lyrics that he gave us. He said, a gift is not a gift until it is received. And a truth is not a truth until it is believed. And I thought about that a lot over the years, and I'm reminded about it almost every year this time. And it's really true. If I have a gift I want to give to someone, it's not a gift until they receive it. I'm hoping they will take it. I'm hoping they'll like it. But the most important thing is they need to receive it. And God is offering all of us a gift this time of the year. He's offering us a gift of himself. And he wants to know if we'll receive it. And part of that receiving is believing the truth. Now, it's true, and I understand how Pastor Derek put that a little poetically. It's really true. Something that is true is true, whether you believe it or I believe it. It's just true because it is true. I think what he was getting at was that a truth is not a truth in my life or your life until it is believed. And God wants us to believe in him. As we say here, God wants us to have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness. So he's offering you a gift. He wants you to receive it, and he wants you to believe what he tells you and make it part of your life. So we're going to talk about some of those things as we go along, and, and in the end, I want to tell you what my prayer for you is. I have a prayer for all of us these days, and I want to tell you that, so you wait, and we'll get that wrapped up toward the end. But let's start out with this idea. I think it was Tiny Tim that said, God bless us, everyone. I think it came from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, if I remember correctly, that Tiny Tim said, God bless us, everyone. And there you go. That's a great way to start. God bless us, everyone. And I hope he will bless you through this.
Well, I just love that song. I can't explain why from the first time I remember hearing it. I just love that song. And it introduces the concept of Emmanuel. And the idea of Emmanuel comes from Matthew chapter 1 and the story of Joseph. So let's start our journey through the Christmas story with the story of Joseph. And I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 1. We'll start with verse 18. And I'm reading from the New International Version, the story of how Joseph comes to accept Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You got to love Joseph. He's a great example to us of someone who had confidence in God. Now, through this story, one of the really curious things is that Joseph isn't quoted. He doesn't say anything, but he does a lot. So we find out at the beginning that he and Mary are betrothed to be married. Now, we don't have anything that's quite like that. We have some similar sense in an engagement period. But in those days, when, when an, a marriage arrangement had been made, that was as though you already were married, even though you weren't married. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of the idea. And if you were going to break the arrangement of marriage, it had to be broken through a divorce. So when it talks about how he was going to divorce her quietly, he recognized how significant that was. And he re really decided that he wasn't going to embarrass her any more than necessary. You see, this was a very significant relationship they had already, and if one of them had died, the other would have been either a widow or a widower. So it was as though they were married, so it's very significant. And as Joseph is considering all of this, along comes an angel. Now, sometimes we think angels can come into our lives and mess them up, but in Joseph's case, the angel came with a message that straightened his out and helped him a great deal. And the angel said, don't be afraid of all this it's going to be okay. God is up to something with Mary, and what she has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. You need to have no worries about her faithfulness or anything like that. You need to take her as your wife, and you're to name the baby that's born Jesus. And then in Matthew, there's a really interesting statement that it says that this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. And it specifically says they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, God 
did everything he could to convince people he wanted to be with them. The garden, he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. He wanted to be with them. After he delivered the people from Egypt, and they gathered there at Sinai, and he came down and spoke to Moses, gave them instructions for going forward. He came down and he lived among them in the tabernacle that he instructed them to build. And later he made his dwelling place among the people in the temple in Jerusalem. See, all the way through history, God has been trying to show his people that he wants to be with them. And here, in his final effort, he sends his son. God comes in the flesh. We call it the incarnation to be with us, Emmanuel. What's the scripture say? Which means God with us. And God is with us. God is with us day by day. He was with Joseph. Joseph, who did, think about this, Joseph, who did as the angel commanded. Can you imagine that he would do that? He did as the angel commanded. And he's described as a person who is faithful to the law, a righteous man. He wanted to do what's right. And yet his, wow, his thinking would have been stretched to do as the angel commanded, but he did it. He did it. You see, Joseph is an example to all of us who are men about the toughest part of being a man who follows God. You know, a lot of men think they do what their own sense says to them to do. They're going to do it their way, and they're not going to let anybody tell them what to do, and they're going to march through life just carrying everything just the way they want it to be. And you know, the toughest part of being a faithful man of God is to do what God asks us to do. It's hard to put aside what we want. It's hard to put aside our own preferences. It's hard to put those aside. But Joseph, he was an example that could do that. You know, it's real interesting. There are a lot of qualities that are talked about in terms of what men should be and, and what kind of men we need for this role or that. And I'm not a huge football fan. I watch it a little bit. It's good recreation for me. And I've noticed something that's very interesting. When they start talking about a football team, and we're talking about a professional football team, I suppose it probably applies to college as well. But they talk about they want a man who is a leader. And, and sometimes you'll hear somebody reference that idea as they need to be a leader of men. And, and that gets my attention a little bit. I'm thinking, hmm, what does that really mean to be a leader and to be a, specifically, as they say it, a leader of men? And I'm not sure because I'm not in that arena, but it gets my attention and it makes me wonder because here Joseph is not asked to be a leader, but he surely leads by example. And you know, most of us are not going to be football coaches. We're not, we're not going to be selected to be a football coach for a, a, any team, really. Maybe with our sons, we might help out, and some of us have done that. But Joseph shows us that to be a man is not some imagined thing that somebody might talk about, to be a leader and a leader of men. It's to be a man who knows how to put his own preferences aside and follow what God says. You see, the angel came in, and it's real hard to accept things that we're not expecting. And, and it's real hard for men to realize that they need to follow someone else's direction. It's real hard to put our own preferences aside. 
you know, we want to be tough. We want to be rugged. We want to be a man's man. <clears throat> well, what does that mean? Well, for Joseph, that meant he was tough enough to stand up for what was right, even though it seemed absolutely counter to everything he knew. He knew what it meant to be a righteous man and faithful to the law. But now God comes along with this angel guy and says, Joseph, don't sweat the problem. Don't worry about what looks like a real challenge in your life. Don't worry about maybe something has to change here. Joseph, embrace what God is doing. Joseph, take Mary in. Make her welcome. Make a household together. You see, in those days, once they had been betrothed, uh, the young man, the groom, we would say, would go home and spend some time in his father's house preparing a place to bring his bride. And so he would work and he would labor and, you know, probably in his eagerness, he wanted to be done real quickly. But he always had to please his father because it was only his father who could decide when he was ready to go claim his bride. And in the meantime, the bride was getting ready because she knew that at a time when she, she didn't expect it necessarily, or at a time that was not prearranged, that her groom would come and claim her and take her back to the place he had prepared for her. And so there we get that imagery here when the angel speaks to Joseph and, and says to him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. See, that was a very significant thing. He was going to publicly welcome her into his house in the way the tradition always had demanded it. And she was going to be a part of the household because Joseph was making a place for her. And so Joseph had to do what other men probably would not have done, but he was willing to follow what God said and do the right thing, both for God and for Mary. You know, we who are men, we have that same challenge today. We have to think about, will we do the right thing for God and follow faithfully in his direction? It is not difficult these days to chart your own course and do your own thing and proudly proclaim that I'm my own man or I'm my own person, and I don't need to listen to what anybody else has to say. I'm going to do what I want to do and the way I want to do it. I'm going to spend my money the way I want to spend it. Nobody has any right to say anything to me about what I do. Just sit back and watch. And, you know, I've kind of gotten over this idea that the church is full of weak people because I've come to understand that the real essence of following Jesus is the ability to put our preferences aside and do what he wants us to do. And that's what I think the challenge is from Joseph to all of us. Even though he doesn't say a word, he lives out exactly the challenge that we all face. Will we have enough confidence in God? Do we trust God? Do we believe that God really has our best interest at heart? And will we follow him and not put ourselves first? That's what it means to be an example. Now, I don't know if that's what it means to be a leader of men and a football coach. I think men get a lot of imagination there, but I do think God has shown us in the person of Joseph, a man who is 
most of the time overlooked in the Christmas story. We talk about him a little bit. But here was a guy who stood up and he didn't care what other people thought. He didn't care that it seemed counter to everything he knew. He had heard from God and he was willing to do what God asked him to do. Now, one of the things I'm hoping that you and I do today is listen to hear what God is saying to us. And I don't know what he might be saying to you. I have no clue. I could guess and be as far wrong as anybody could imagine. So I'm not going to guess. But I am convinced that God has a message for you. And God is talking to you because he has everything but good for you. The question isn't, is God talking? The question is, are we listening? Now, I don't know why it required an angel appearing in a dream to get Joseph's attention. That's a really curious way to get someone's attention. I suppose it's a good way because how many of us would say an angel appeared to us in a dream? Uh, not me for sure. Maybe a few of us seems pretty unlikely. It didn't happen often. But God clearly spoke to Joseph, and I don't think it requires a dream anymore for God to clearly speak to us. He's given us the Bible. We know what he thinks. We know what he expects. The real question is, do we, isn't do we need some remarkable way that God communicates to us? The real question is, are we willing to hear what he's saying right now and respond to it? Now, let me give you a clue as to what he might be saying to you. It's whatever you most resist about what you think it means to follow Jesus is probably what God is talking to you about. So if you have a habit of some kind, if you have a preference of some kind, you're just not sure you want to give up. If you have a time commitment or something you enjoy spending your time doing, and you're not sure you want to give that up. I don't know what you might have a reluctance toward or a resistance toward, but I want you to think about that. Could that resistance be the, the clue, the idea of what God is trying to say to you right now? Could that resistance be evidence of how God is speaking to us? For you see, we often bump up against a growth area in our lives the next step that God might want for us to take. Now, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and you don't think there's any more next steps. Well, there probably are, because God has more life for you. He wants to enrich your life even more. So wherever we are, whatever we tend to resist, don't you think that's probably what God is saying to us? And give Joseph credit. Wow, give him credit. He didn't resist. He just got up and went about the business God had called him to. He didn't stop to worry about what it was going to cost him. He didn't stop to worry about what he had to do. He didn't have to stop to worry about what somebody else might think. He just took the steps. Now, you see, for us, some of us have developed an identity of who we are. Some of us have developed a, well, this is the way I do it, and it would be very humbling for us to change that. I understand that. God understands that. But can you find a way, can you find people in your life 
who will honor your willingness to take that step without making you feel like, well, you said this all these years and now you're changing your mind. We don't need any of that. We just need enough strength of character. We need to be men who are willing to say, I'm big enough to admit when I need to go a different way and choose something different. I need to be big enough to hear from God like Joseph did and then change because I have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And I hope you do. And I hope you'll follow in the way God leads. God rest you merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power while we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power while we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort, the shepherds at this shine. Rejoice and much in joy, and let the flocks of flocks and tempest and storm and wind. And straightway winter, 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 to find no tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, no tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy, comfort and joy. So as we bring this first part of our time together, looking at Joseph to a close, let's remember what the song said about God wants us to have rest, gentlemen. He doesn't want us to be dismayed by anything. Joseph wasn't. The angel said, fear not. And Joseph said, hey, I got this. Well, he didn't say it because we don't know what he said, but he did it and he lived it out because Christ was going to be born. And you know, it gave Joseph another specific responsibility. Not only was he to take Mary into his household, but it says in verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about how God sent Jesus to save us from our sins. Now, I know a lot of people think, well, you've been talking about doing God's way instead of our way. It doesn't sound like saving us from our sins. Oh, contraire. It actually, actually really does. Because when we follow our way, we end up going far from God. And one of the things that is a gift to us at Christmas is the truth that God can deliver us from sin. And that's why he sent Jesus to save his people from their sins. So are you willing to be that person? Are you willing to be that one who is not afraid to embrace what God has called you to, who is not afraid to trust him, who's willing to say to God, you lead, I'll follow. Like Joseph, you don't have to even send an angel to me. Like Joseph, I'll, I'll follow because I'm tough enough. I'm man enough to do just that. You see, God wants us to do that, and he wants us to do it because we have absolute confidence that he is trustworthy. And you see, that is also the real crux of the issue. When we 
men or women, I'm sure you've figured that out now. I've spoken mostly to men, but it's true for women. When we men or women decide we know better than God, then it leads us in a way that ends up being far from God. And we're going to come back with some more thoughts in just a minute. But in the meantime, you consider, do you have confidence in God enough to follow in the way he leads? We'll be right back. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. You know, I have to put a good word in for Healthy Cell. They have three lines of products that I've been using now for months. One is Immune Super Boost, which is a daily supplement designed to supercharge your immunity. And boy, do we need this now with COVID-19 and the revelation that the COVID-19 spike protein could be in our body for a year and a half after the illness or after vaccination. The next product is Focus and Memory. And again, this brain fog that happens in the long COVID syndrome and even occurs in the post-vaccination syndrome appears to be really calling for uh, a lot of the essential ingredients in the Focus product for healthy cell. And then lastly, my favorite product is the sleep product. The REM sleep uh, healthy cell product has a wonderful blend of uh, combinations of key elements to restore normal sleep architecture. It's very important. It's different than getting uh, put to sleep or forced to sleep. Getting a healthy sleep and having normal sleep architecture is quality sleep. And when we have good quality sleep, We have lower stress hormones during the day. We feel better. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to bed tonight until I've taken my Healthy Cell REM sleep product. So go to HealthyCell.com. And when you order, hit the promo box and type in out loud. That will give you a 20% discount off the products. Uh, Try them. Uh, Try a box. Try all three. And do your own self-assessment. I know I've, I've done it. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Just imagine spending Christmas in a spaceship. Astronaut James Irwin says the Earth reminded us of a Christmas tree ornament hanging in the blackness of space as we got farther and farther away it diminished in size. Finally, it shrank to the size of a marble, the most beautiful marble you can imagine. From all of us here at America Out Loud, may the warmth of the season embrace you and yours. Merry Christmas, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio, liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith Is, and I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. And Faith Is is the place where we help each other, we challenge each other, we stretch each other to develop absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Faith starts right there. Do we trust God? Do we have confidence in God? And we work to help each other develop that. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church. As I said, I am a pastor. Our church is pleased to bring you these programs and especially this Christmas special. We really hope that it benefits you and you find some value in it. We don't do this for anybody else but you. You are the the people we have in mind when we prepare the program. You are the people we hope to help. And we hope that God will speak to you 
during these times we share together. And for this Christmas special, we've been encouraging each other to see the sights of Christmas in a little bit of a different way. Of course, it's in our imagination, but I think God uses the stories of the Bible to spark our imagination. So I hope you'll see the sights in a fresh way. And yes, we're going to hear some of the sounds of Christmas. We've heard some of those already, and we'll hear some more. Not just the words that I say, but the music of Christmas. But more than either of those, I want you to listen for what isn't said, except through the still small voice of God speaking to you. So hear the sound of God speaking above all the rest of it. And then, of course, not only are we seeing the sights and hearing the sounds, but we're helping each other know the truth so that we can believe the truth and we can receive the gift of God for us today. We've been looking at Joseph for the last few minutes, and now we're going to turn our attention to Mary, and really more specifically, Mary's boy child. love the music of Christmas, don't we? I love those rhythmic things and that whole idea of Mary's boy child just gets your 
blood moving in the right direction. And we're going to look at Mary and, and specifically Mary's boy child from Luke chapter one, starting with verse 26. And if this story doesn't begin to get you excited, wow, we better work harder at figuring out what excitement is, don't you think? Luke chapter one, verse 26, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Might be different than yours, might be the same, but whatever the text is, it's the same story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Can you imagine such an encounter? Can you imagine? No wonder the scripture describes Mary as being troubled. I think any of us would be troubled. What in the world's going on? What kind of greeting is this? We'd all be kind of shook up and wondering. And I don't know if Mary was troubled because of the sight of the angel or because the Lord is with you. There's all kinds of reasons Mary might have been troubled. But in spite of her reaction, listen to what the angel says. What's the angel say? Do not be afraid. You know, we hear that over and over in the scriptures and in the Christmas story. Do not be afraid. Fear not. And I think if there's one message I could say to the people of God in these days, when people seem to be so caught up in fear of one thing or another, fear of virus, fear of economic problems, fear of who knows what, is to say to people, God has told us over and over, don't be afraid. Just like he said to Mary, don't be afraid. I would say to you, don't be afraid. Let's have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. The angel also says to Mary that she had found favor with God. Favor with God. Can you imagine how many of us feel like we would ever find favor with God? But we forget, isn't that what we're supposed to do as his followers? We're supposed to please him. Not because we have to earn our state with him, not because we have to earn his love, but because that is the normal response of a covenant relationship. We please the covenant partner, and God is our covenant partner. And Mary had apparently done that for God, and he found favor with her. 
And then over and over in the story of the coming of Jesus, we see reference to David and his kingdom. And once again, we see it here because the angel says to, to Mary that uh, your, your son, this baby, this really God's son, will be given the throne of David. Now, Mary knew that David's throne was the highest point in the history of her people, the most wonderful time for God's people in all of history, and they all looked back on that with great fondness. And now Mary is saying that, or God is saying to Mary, that your son, the son of God that you're going to deliver, will have the throne of this kingdom, and it will never end. Can you imagine hearing those words? She's going to be the mother of the king, and the kingdom will never end. That's not too bad. And of course, Mary says, uh, how is this going to happen? that I'm going to have a baby since I haven't known a man. I'm a virgin. Well, the angel said, this is something that God is doing. This is the Holy Spirit's doing. And you need to trust him. He will cause you to have a baby and cause that baby to be born. And you don't need to worry about that. You just need to trust him. So there we go again. It seems like when you think about it over and over down through the Bible, God is saying to us, his people, don't worry about so much stuff. Trust me. And Mary has the same challenge. Now we think of Mary's challenge as much bigger than ours. And you have to admit it probably was. Certainly an angel hasn't visited me and probably hasn't visited most of us and hasn't told us some super amazing thing that's going to happen. But even in life's ups and downs, the, what we think of as ordinary, God invites us, calls us, hopes that we will trust him. And we can. We can trust him. And we must. That's what he wants from us, our trust. And then there's another real interesting statement from the angel there in verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. You know, sometimes in the Christmas story, we go by that pretty quickly. But there again, if we're going to be the kind of people that have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, I think it's important for us to stop and think about that a little bit. Because God has promised over and over that he will do what he says. We know that he keeps his promises. He can be trusted. And so when we think about this, no word from God will ever fail. Mary took that to heart. And she recognized that she could trust God. So what has God promised us? Well, he hasn't promised us an easy life. He hasn't promised us that he will solve all of our problems. Uh, he hasn't promised us that we'll be free of problems. He hasn't promised us that we'll get what we want every time just because we're his. I certainly think most of us could say we don't always get what we want. We don't get our way. But God has promised that he will be our faithful covenant partner. He has promised 
that he will be with us always. He will never leave us, never forsake us. So no matter what kind of troubled road we might walk down, and most of us will walk down some of those, God says, I will be with you. He says he will help us overcome the things that come along. He provides grace for the challenges that that life brings us. In an amazing way, when we look back, just as Mary would look back now, she would say, yes, God was with me every step of the way through this challenge of being the mother of the Son of God. We look back and we can see how God has helped us overcome challenges and reminded us that we really can trust him. And that's what we need to do because no word from God will ever fail. So when we hear from God clearly and he tells us something straight up, then we don't have to worry. We can trust him. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Stretch toward God's high calling, stretch toward the ability to trust him absolutely. And we want to do that. We need to do that. And God will give us grace for that so we can accomplish that. Now, in verse 38 is Mary's final response. And the story moves on from there. That's why I stopped at that verse. But, but Mary says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant. That's what we need to say to God today. I am your servant. I am the Lord's servant. Now, what that means is a servant does what the Lord asks them to do. So some of us sometimes get asked by God to do things we didn't expect. We didn't count on. We hadn't really thought we wanted to do. And Mary has the same thing. The angel shows up and says, hey, Mary, I got a surprise for you. And Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. So whatever surprise it is, I'm ready for it. Is that how we respond when the Lord's servant is challenged by the Lord? And I like what Mary concludes with here. She says, may your word to me be fulfilled. You know, when we understand what God is up to and when he, we understand what he wants to do in us, through us, in our world, we need to be as quick to say, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Wouldn't that be great if everybody would say to God, may your word to me be fulfilled? You see, one of the things that I hope you're hearing as you listen to this program today is you're hearing the voice of God. And when you hear what God says, just like Mary heard what the angel said, I'm hoping that you will respond with, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. See, that's what it means to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Now, we admire Mary. Everybody admires Mary, and rightfully so. We should. She is a terrific example. The next step for us is to say, well, if Mary could do it, so can I. If Mary could trust God that much, so can I. And you know what? Wherever you are, I am absolutely convinced that you can trust God too. You can trust him just like Mary. So what will you do? It's kind of a question that comes from this last song. If you were there, how would you have responded? You're here now. How will you respond to God? 
night before And I heard them knocking at my door Would I turn them down or let them in On Christmas Eve in Bethlehem If I was watching o'er the fields When the angel of the Lord appeared Would I believe as the shepherds did On Christmas Eve in Bethlehem Would I sing song and it's quite challenging isn't it if you were there if you heard them knocking at the door how would you respond would you let them in i think most of us would say we would of course we would let them in without a doubt 
that if we were the shepherds and we were out in the fields and we heard the angel's message to us, would we believe as the shepherds did? I think we would. I think that we put ourselves in that situation and we say, yeah, of course I would. But you know, the question doesn't end there. It really comes down to he's knocking at our doors today, the doors of our heart. And he's wondering if we'll make room in our hearts for him. And if we would welcome a newborn baby or a mother who needs a place to give birth to a baby, if we would welcome that vision, that image of Jesus, why wouldn't we welcome him today into our hearts? And why wouldn't we show him the confidence that Joseph and Mary showed him by trusting the word of God and saying, like Mary said, may your word to me be fulfilled. We can do that. You can do that. I invite you to do that even now. Trust the God who is speaking to you. Show him that you have confidence in him. Well, that wraps up part two of our program. We're going to be continuing on, and I invite you to stay tuned because we're going to look at some other characters in the Christmas story, and we're going to continue to take that walk through these various scenes in the, in the message of Christmas, and we're going to learn from all of the people how to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I will be back in just a minute. I'll meet you then. such a wonderful time of the year don't you think it is wonderful and here we are on faith is welcoming you back to our journey through the christmas story i'm pastor rick stevens and i'm so glad you've joined us on this we are walking through the various scenes of the story and we're meeting people who had such an important part in the story and we're learning how to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, because that's what we do here on Faith Is. We help each other, we stretch each other toward God's high calling, and we help one another have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. We can trust Him. We really can, and we're determined to do just that. Now, we're looking at the Christmas story, and we're trying to see the sights. Do you see what I see? And we're trying to see not just what God has told us in terms of the story, but see beyond that into our imagination. See, I think that's why God tells us so many stories in the Bible, so we can use our imagination and put ourselves right there in the story. And so we're trying to see the sights. We can't literally see them. None of us can, but we're using our imagination and God is helping us. And we want to know, do you hear what I hear? Can you hear the sounds of Christmas? And we're listening to some of those, some of the songs, some of the music. We're talking about it a little bit. We're hearing the scriptures. We're listening for the story of Christmas, but we're listening for more than that. We want to hear from God. And we want to know the truth of Christmas. We want to believe the story that God tells us, and we want to receive the gift that God has given us. And now we're going to go 
back in time and talk about shepherds. And we're going to rise up just like the shepherds.
Well, that brings out the shepherd in all of us, doesn't it? We're going to rise up and follow just like the shepherds. We're going to take courage and we're going to follow in the way God leads. So let's think about what that means and what that might have meant to the shepherds. Quite a number of years ago now, I had the opportunity, really the privilege, I was so excited to go visit Israel, to go visit these places I'd only read about, to a place in the world that I could never imagine having the opportunity to go visit. But it just worked out to this day. I'm a little surprised I did it. I wasn't afraid to go. I wasn't afraid of the stories you hear of dangerous things happening over there. I wasn't afraid at all. I was eager to see it. And the time approached and we'd hear from the man who was leading the tour and he led the tour, not as a tour guide so much, although he did guide us to where we needed to go, but he led it as a pilgrimage and invited us to experience the land where Jesus walked. And leading up to the time, they told us some of the places we would go. And I recognized those places and was eager to see them. And one of the things I remember them telling us is that they weren't sure we would be able to visit Bethlehem. Bethlehem was in Palestinian-controlled territory, and there were always some tensions. And I think, as I recall, the, the reason that we could go or not go depended upon the tensions that were going on between the people there in Bethlehem and the Israeli government. Well, I didn't really think much more about it. I wasn't worried about whether we got to see Bethlehem. I was so excited to see any of the Holy Land, we call it, or Israel, that it didn't matter. I was determined it was going to be a great trip. Uh, and I couldn't sleep on the plane all the way over there. It was just, it was so much fun to look forward to. Well, I did find out pretty early in the trip that, yes, we were going to be able to go see Bethlehem. Well, that was kind of cool because I remembered years ago, my pastor, when I was a kid growing up at a church in Ohio, my pastor and another man from the church made a trip to the Holy Land, to Israel. And they brought back slides to show us the pictures of the places they had visited. And if you remember, that was long before all the digital photography. We had to wait for them to be processed, and they had, had to set the date. And the time came, they set up all the equipment, and they showed the pictures. And I really don't remember much about that except one thing. I remember seeing the photograph that they took standing in the place that tradition has told us was the birthplace of Jesus. And I thought it was really interesting looking. Um, I just kind of took it in. I, I just kind of like, hmm, didn't look like I had imagined it. That's for sure. It was certainly all dressed up and, and kind of made magnificent as a shrine. And, but that was fine. I, I believed them. I didn't worry about it. I didn't think much more about it. Well, here we go. We're going to Israel and we go to Bethlehem. And getting to Bethlehem was kind of an experience because we had to go through one of these military checkpoints like we see on the news. We get to the city of Bethlehem, the village of Bethlehem, I guess you'd say, and the bus pulls over kind of at the foot of the hill. We had to walk up the hill, not a steep hill, a little hill up to, to Manger Square and into the Church of the Nativity. I remember the first person we met when we got off the bus was a Palestinian police officer. I thought, hmm, that's interesting, considering all that I'd heard. But, Still, I wasn't afraid. We were going to go, and we went up the hill, and we walked into Manger Square, and it was like, like nothing I could have imagined. It was as though I'd been there before because I'd seen the pictures from, from the television programs of church services that had taken place there every Christmas. And so it was like, wow. It, it wasn't as big as I thought it would be, but it was so nice to be able to be there. We walked into the Church of the Nativity, and again, I'd seen pictures, and it felt like 
a place I'd visited, although I hadn't been there before. We continued on and went through the door and down the stairs. And there on the lower level was the site, the traditional site of the birth of Jesus. And I stood back and I saw that and I remembered exactly what I had seen those years ago as a child, as a kid. And, I, and it looked just like it. And I was really impressed. Oh, this is really cool. I took my pictures. And, and then I really wasn't expecting this, but they took us back. We got on the bus and we went out to what they call Shepherd's Field. And I know some of these places are set aside for tourists because you got to have a place to take tourists. You know, you just have to have a site. And so we went out there to Shepherd's Field and, and it was a field. And it wasn't all that impressive, wasn't particularly unimpressive. It was just a Shepherd's field. But one of the features of that field really got my attention. I wasn't familiar and didn't know about the, the lay of the land there. I didn't know what to expect. You would expect shepherd's field to be grassy because you would go where sheep would be able to graze. And, and it was, there were some rolling hills around that part of, of Israel. And, and that wasn't surprising. But I noticed something that I'd never could have thought of. There in the shepherd's field, there where we could see what was going on, there were small indentations in the edge of the hills that you would call caves. Now, they weren't deep caves. They weren't like Mammoth Cave or anything like that. They were just small areas where you could walk in and, and you could get back out of the weather. So one of them I remember in particular that I explored a little bit is you, could, you had to step down and you would step down and get back into the cave, and then you'd be out of the rain if it was raining or out of the wind or whatever you were trying to find shelter from. The shepherds could have gone into some of those caves. I don't know if they used that very cave that we explored and saw there. I don't, I don't have any idea about that. But I remember thinking this explains on a whole different level why the shepherds were afraid. Because I realized, and I, and I remember walking down into that cave and stepping back into the, to the farthest reaches, and there was a place to sit down because the rock was there, and I, and I could sit there, and I sat down, and I looked back out from that cave, and I imagined what it must have been like, if, if this is where the shepherds were, what it must have been like that night when the angel appeared. Now, to be sure, and I don't minimize this at all, to be sure. If an angel shows up, that's going to get my attention. Probably get your attention too. I'm not sure how brave I would be at that point. I think the shepherds and some of the other people in the Christmas story respond much the way most of us would today. They were afraid. But the angel said to them, fear not. Now, I knew that. I knew that because I knew the Christmas story. I was familiar with it. I'd heard it all my life. And so I try to imagine myself as a shepherd sitting back in that cave, looking out, it's night, and all of a sudden the sky is lit up with this angel who shows up, and here we are in the midst of that, and the thought occurred to me, if the shepherds were back in a cave like that, where they could see the entrance and they could see the sky, and an angel showed up, one of the reasons to be afraid is there's no place to run. And I remember thinking, no wonder those shepherds were afraid. They were back, maybe, can't prove it, 
just this is the way God tells these stories, and, and it helps us imagine what it must have been like, helps us relive them. And I was reliving it, sat there, and I thought, what must it have been like for those shepherds to be sitting back here, just minding their own business, out of the weather, maybe sleeping, being awakened by the angel, and then realizing that they were in the presence of something and they could not get away. Well, they were trapped. They were trapped without a doubt when the angel came. I, I still don't know what to do with that. I find it absolutely riveting and fascinating. It helps me understand the shepherds. It, it makes me, frankly, more sympathetic to them. Maybe it makes you a little more sympathetic. You know, it's easy for us to read the Bible and look at the things that took place and say, well, why were those people afraid? That's what God was doing. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's true, except that if I was there, I'd have probably been afraid too. But the good news is that the shepherds heard the good news and their fear did not paralyze them. They heard the angel say, fear not. And I'll say it again, if there's a message I could get across to all of us today, one of them would be, we need to stop being afraid. God has told us over and over, don't be afraid. Trust me. And the shepherds, in spite of the fact that they had reason to be concerned and wonder about their safety. They were afraid. They heard the message from God through the angel, fear not, and the shepherds were not paralyzed by their fear. The shepherds, in the words of the song, rose up and followed. And I think that's one of the things that God is saying to us today, that we need to get over this being paralyzed by fear. There are so many times that I've seen God's people, they just are afraid for one reason or another, and they're paralyzed by that fear. Now, I'm not talking about being cautious and careful and making good decisions. That's, that's normal. We want to be that. But sometimes we need to be courageous and go for it. And all the time, we need to not be afraid. We need to trust God. See, that's what we talk about here regularly, is having absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And so the shepherds heard the angel's message, they listened carefully, and I'm convinced they heard a specific address that the angels were guiding them to. They were guiding them to what we call the watchtower of the flock, Migdaletter, specific place that was built in those times, a, a real watchtower where the shepherds could climb up and watch the sheep. And these were shepherds that had specific responsibilities to, to care for the flocks and out of those flocks would come the sacrifices destined for the temple just up the road in Jerusalem. And I think that when the shepherds heard the angels say, you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, they understood immediately because they knew that when the lambs were ready to give birth, or I should say the ewes were ready to give birth to lambs, they would take them into the watchtower at Migdaletter and allow the lambs to deliver the, or allow the ewes to deliver the lambs. And the lambs then, if they were perfect, had to be carefully taken care of to preserve that perfection for the temple in Jerusalem. And they would often wrap those lambs in strips of cloths so that they would not hurt themselves. A young lamb might thrash about a bit or in trying to get used to being on its legs might risk hurting itself, and they couldn't have that. So they had to take special care of those lambs. And that all took place in Migdaletter. And they had 
places, mangers where they could put the lambs so they could be well protected, not amongst other sheep where they might be damaged. And I'm convinced, intriguingly so, that when the shepherds heard this, they got over their fear and said, now, wait a minute, the message to us is clear, and we understand where the angel is sending us. And the scriptures tell us they just went right out and makes no indication that they had any trouble finding it. It's as though they went straight to where God had directed them. And that's part of the evidence that convinces me that Migdaletter, the watchtower of the flock, is the place where Jesus was born. It is in Bethlehem, Bethlehem being understood as a region, not necessarily a well-defined village like we sometimes think of it today. It wouldn't have had city limits like we think of. That wasn't the way things worked in those days. But here are the shepherds, instead of being trapped in a cave, paralyzed by fear, they rose up and they followed. They had absolute confidence to trust God and to follow him. And isn't that what we should have? Shouldn't we have that same sense of confidence? Can't we believe what the angels say to us today? Can't we believe what the Bible says to us today? Because God will be faithful. God will accomplish what he sets out to accomplish. God will be with us, and we don't need to be afraid. So part of what I think we should do as we consider Christmas is we should think about what makes us afraid. Now, I know one of the things that makes us afraid is the unknown. And maybe there are some unknown things in your life and you're thinking about, uh, if I only knew what that was, I wouldn't have quite the anxiety I have right now. I wouldn't be afraid. Well, guess what? God knows about the unknown. He may not have told us about that yet, but he knows about it and he's already there and he'll meet you there. So take heart. Don't be afraid. You may be saying, well, I'm not really afraid. I'm just anxious about a few things. Yeah, let's not play that game with ourselves. Could we, could we be honest enough to say that our anxiety is really fear? We're just calling it by a different name so we can say we're not afraid. And can we realize that so many things that we get anxious about are probably not going to happen? And if they do happen, God is going to be with us anyway. And so why are we spending our time and energy worrying about what might happen when God says to us, fear not? The shepherds had every reason to be afraid. I mean, every reason that we don't have, angels that could have been a significant threat to them. If my idea is correct, angels that trapped them with no way out. They had no way to escape. They couldn't run away. They had to sit there and listen to what the angel said. And what did, what did the angel say? The angel said, it's good news, fellas. It's good news. You're going to like this. You're going to go find a baby. And it's going to be the greatest thing that the world has ever known, that God has entered our world as a human being, as the perfect lamb of God. And he's entered the world right here where you, you serve God by helping identify and take good care of perfect lambs for sacrifice. And here you're so privileged now to take heart and not be paralyzed by fear. Let's not be paralyzed by fear. Let's step up and take action. Let's climb out of the caves of fear that are so tempting. Let's climb out of the 
places of fear that we've parked ourselves. And let's rise up like the shepherds and go forth into the night and find the Savior of the world because he has come for you and me, and he is available if we will believe and receive what God is offering us. So how about it? You ready to take courage? You ready to step up and step out? You ready to climb out of that paralyzing place and be the person God has called you to be and have confidence? Let's go back in time. Let's go back to that hillside. Let's go back and hear and experience all over again what the shepherds heard and experienced from Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger.
suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. What a great story. What a great thing to relive and to imagine how those shepherds heard the angel and then climbed right out of the paralyzing cave of fear and walked off to find the gift of a savior. What a great, great story. Well, we've finished three sections of the story of Christmas. We started out with Joseph, and we talked about Joseph and, and his experience with an angel in Matthew chapter one. And Joseph didn't say a word. You remember Joseph didn't say a word, but Joseph did exactly what he was told to do by the angel. He didn't hesitate. He just stepped up and did it. And we admire Joseph because of that. He was a man the way men are meant to be. He put aside his preferences, his concerns, and he trusted God and said, the biggest of men put God first and they walk with him faithfully. Then we talked about Mary and about Mary's encounter with the angel and how Mary said very forthrightly, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be to me be fulfilled just as you said it to me. May your word be fulfilled. And so she lived that out. So Joseph and Mary both had absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And then these shepherds, they come along and they're out in the field and they hear the angel. They respond to the angel's invitation and they go and find the Savior. Well, it's coming down to the end of this section, we're going to go into the next section. And I'm really looking forward to that because we want to talk about the wise men. And I don't want you to go away. I want you to stay with us till the end, because there's some intriguing things about the wise men that we don't tend to think about. Many of us don't even know to think about. And I want to introduce you some, to some ideas from the wise men as we continue to develop confidence in God. Because of COVID-19, many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 112 times per month. But by simply keeping our immune system strong, we can stay healthy and put our worries at ease. 
One little known way to do this is by taking AC11, a patented supplement from a plant in the Amazon rainforest. Studied for over 20 years and backed by over 40 scientific peer-reviewed studies, taking AC11 has been proven to extend the life of immune cells called leukocytes, allowing you to boost immunity naturally. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of AC11. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. I'm excited to talk about a new product from HealthyCell, AC11. This is a patented bioactive extract of Uncaria tomentosa from the Amazon rainforest. It supports cell DNA repair and health span. It's a dietary supplement. I'm excited to try it. Many are interested in longevity and attenuation of senescence. We know that telomere length and other uh, biologic measures are related to senescence in uh, 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 clinical and uh, preclinical studies, particularly of animal models. And I can tell you as a doctor, dietary supplements do hold the promise of attenuating repair and damage in our body due to stress, physical wear and tear, sunlight, etc. And there's a tremendous opportunity for supplements to help us in this area. And so Healthy Cell has brought a product to market for you to try as part of your health portfolio. So please go to HealthyCell.com and in the promotional code, list out loud for 20% off your first purchase of products from Healthy Cell. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Here's to wishing you all the joy of the season, my fellow Americans. Well, it was the American crooner Bing Crosby who said, unless we make Christmas an occasion to share our blessings, all the snow in Alaska won't make it white. From all of us here at America Out Loud, may the warmth of the season embrace you and yours. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, your host, and I'm so glad to have you along for this journey through the Christmas story, really the journey to Bethlehem. We've been exploring the various people involved in the story of Jesus' birth, and we've been learning that they help us have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. You see, that's the heart of faithfulness, is can we really trust God? And we do this program to help each other develop that kind of confidence in God. And I want to thank my church. I am the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. And they've been very supportive of what we do here. And I want to thank them for that and let you know that when I say I'm a pastor, I actually am a working pastor. I preach every Sunday and do all the other things a pastor will do. And one of the things that I get to do is to spend some time with you. And I thank you so much for joining us. Well, we've been seeing the sights through imaginative eyes 
trying to answer the question, do you see what I see? And do you hear what I hear? We're listening to the sounds of Christmas through some of the songs and the scriptures, but we're listening for more than just that. We're listening for the voice of God because God wants us to, to hear him and to believe him and to receive the truth of Christmas, the gift of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. And in this portion of the program, we're going to look at the kings. Well, they weren't really kings. We'll talk about who they were, but let's for now say they're kings. And we're going to think about the implications of if they were kings, but what about because they aren't? And at the end, I'm going to tell you my prayer for all of us for this Christmas season. But let's start off with the way the kings came. They came rejoicing, and we want to rejoice with the kings because this is a great thing, the coming of Jesus. Rejoice. Oh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. Oh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. Oh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy, great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Mountains and valleys, it led them each night, a star of most radiant light. The wise men rejoiced as they journeyed afar to behold such a beautiful star. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy, great joy, great joy. The star shone bright, giving wondrous light. It led those three kings to a holy child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. Three mighty kings and they rejoiced with great joy. Marching, marching, when they saw the star, With exceeding great joy, great joy, great joy, we three kings of Orient are. Bearing gifts, we travel afar. They rejoice with great joy. Field and fountain, moor and
star, they rejoiced with great joy. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced with exceeding great rejoicing with exceeding great joy there's reason for rejoicing there's reason to be excited there's reason for anticipation because we are god's people and god has come to be among us and we find that in the story of the of christmas in the story of jesus coming and we find that in the story of the magi sometimes called kings now they were not kings we sometimes call them that i'm not sure where that tradition came but we need to make sure we understand they weren't kings. If they had been kings, the, their visit with Herod would have probably been very different. But they were, they were special men. And they came from far away, all the way to Israel, all the way to Bethlehem, to seek and to find the child that was born there in Bethlehem. So let's read their story from Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read from the New International Version, the story of not the kings, magi, it says here, or wise men visiting Jesus, arriving in Bethlehem. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose, when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Well, I really like the wise men, the magi, as it says in this English translation. And it's true, they were not kings. And I imagine the reception by King Herod would have been different if they were kings. The fact that they were searching for a king surely got Herod's attention. And yes, they followed a star, and yes, they brought gifts. But let's think about the wise men a little bit. Where did they come from, and why did they make this journey? The text tells us, the story in Matthew tells us they saw his star, and they came to worship him. Well, what's going on here? Well, we don't know exactly, but we have some tantalizing clues that just really intrigued me, 
And I think it just brings the Christmas story to life in a whole new way. So a little history, and then we'll get to the conclusion of these wise men, these magi. You remember the history of God's people that God had talked to them about how they were supposed to be faithful to him what we would call they were supposed to have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness. So they would do what he said and pay attention to the laws he gave them and do what he asked them to do. Well, that didn't work out that way because they were determined to do their own thing and go their own way. God warned them repeatedly by sending prophets. They sometimes listened and then they fell away again. And finally, God had had enough and it's really a sad chapter in the history of God's people. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and laid siege to Jerusalem, and God gave Jerusalem, God gave the kingdom, his people, into this pagan king's hand. Notice it says, if you look at Daniel chapter 1, notice it says that, that God gave this kingdom, these people to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't strong enough to win the battle. God gave him to them. So a consequence of that was then, and it was common in ancient times, they gathered, King Nebuchadnezzar gathered, he and his men, the, the brightest and the best of the royal court in Jerusalem, and took them captive into exile with him back to Babylon. They get back to Babylon, and the king gives instructions that these young men are supposed to be trained in the language and literature of the Babylonians. So they were supposed to be taught all the things the Babylonians knew and believed so that they could be wise counselors to the king, or we might say wise men. And sure enough, Daniel and his friends, they completed the course. They were found to be superior to the other students, and they served in the royal court of Babylon, guiding the king, helping run the kingdom, doing amazing things, considering they came as prisoners, they advanced in quite amazing rank in the court of Babylon, court of the king of Babylon. Well, I mentioned that they learned the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Well, some of the things that they learned was indeed the language. They had to learn the language that they, they would use in the royal court. But there was also some other things, a course of study, we would call it, that they were expected to learn. And one of the things that we know about the Babylonians and the wise men in the royal court there was that they studied the stars, what we would call astronomy and what we would call astrology. We know that they believed that there were significant things that they could learn by watching the sky. And so they looked at the sky to try to gain insight into what was happening what might happen in the future so that they could give wise counsel to the king. And Daniel and his friends, the other young men that were taken captive, had to learn all about this because the king, as we know from the story of Daniel, depended upon them. Now, one of the things he depended upon them for was the interpretation of dreams. Now, we know that God gave Daniel special ability to interpret those dreams, and so that came into real benefit when the king had a dream and needed somebody to explain it. And God gave Daniel the explanation that really saved his life and the lives of the other wise men in the royal court. Well, they looked at the stars, they learned astronomy and astrology, they learned all the language and literature of Babylon. But one of the intriguing things to wonder is these wise men, these magi, came from the area of the world where Daniel and his friends were taken captive to serve in the royal court. They came from that same geographical area. 
So the intriguing thing to wonder is, might it be possible that while Daniel was in the royal court learning the language and literature of the Babylonians, he was teaching the Babylonians the language and literature of Israel, the people of God. Is it possible that Daniel explained to them that his people were expecting Messiah to come, and that he would come? And is it possible that that planted the seed of an idea in the wise men of Babylon that that took root and stayed in their understanding until a star appeared, and that star, because they watched the skies, triggered those wise men to wise men to say, "Aha! Remember what we heard from Daniel. Let's go look and find." And so these wise men, who may have been influenced by a captive taken into exile, left home, traveled many miles back. To the land of God's people, all the way to Bethlehem, where they found the newborn king, the Christ. His name is Jesus. I can't prove that. I want to make sure I make that clear. I can't prove that, but that is so intriguing to think that Daniel, even though he was taken against his will to a pagan court, might have influenced them to watch for the Messiah. We know Daniel was faithful to his God all through his life, and think about that. These men came from that area of the world. Maybe they came because of what Daniel and his friends had taught them, and they saw this star, and it just reminded them. It brought back to mind what happened, and they went all the way and ultimately found the king in Bethlehem. And then, notice what it says in the very last verse I read, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Warned in a dream. Remember, dreams among the people that Daniel worked with in the royal court of Babylon were very important, and they paid attention to them. So when they were warned in a dream, it probably wouldn't have been a surprise to them to have had a dream, and that probably was something they would have taken very seriously. And so they didn't go back to Herod. They went home a different way. Now, yes, we understand the geography, and yes, there was another way they could have gone. But here's the question for us. When we get to Bethlehem, when we get to the house where Jesus was, when we meet him, do we go home differently? And how different might we be? You know, I know that sometimes we're a little too quick to spiritualize things. But I don't think it does any damage here to the scriptures to ask ourselves, when the wise men left, how were they different? Not just in the way they went home, but how were they different having realized that what may have been a story that started with Daniel's teaching in the royal court led them all the way over as many years and many miles to encounter the Messiah that Daniel said they were expecting. They were wise enough not to go back to Herod, because remember, a king who was on the throne was threatened by a potential king. And so Herod was threatened by the news that a king had been born. He would want to know what's going on. And of course, we know the rest of the story. He took action against that. The wise men, having encountered a king, having perhaps seen the fulfillment of God's promise to his people in a way they never could have imagined, 
How might they have been different? And what might they have said when they got back home? How might they have explained things when they got back home? How were they different? And then one more thought before we move on. They gave gifts. What were they? Frankincense, myrrh, and yes, gold, valuable gifts. One of the things that we should ask ourselves if we're going to be different when we walk back home from Bethlehem is, are we willing to give valuable gifts to Jesus? I don't know what he's asking of you, but he might be asking of you something that you're not sure you want to give. But you know, the Bible is full of people who gave valuable things to God in terms of service, sometimes money, sometimes the time that they spent. I don't know what God might be talking to you about, but if he asks you to give something that's valuable, are you willing to do it? The wise men gave frankincense, myrrh, and yes, gold, real gold. Well, they went home. I think they went home rejoicing because it tells us that when they got to Bethlehem, when they saw all this, they were excited. Some of the scriptures say filled with exceeding great joy. So how else could we respond but with a hallelujah?
there was a lot of rejoicing with the wise men and there's a lot of rejoicing with us. And do you know, you probably heard the story that when the King of England heard the hallelujah chorus for the first time, he stood up and people have been standing up in hallelujah ever since. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this journey through Christmas journey to Bethlehem. And now it's time for us to go on our way. And, and again, we want to ask the question, how are we different? Do we have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God? You know, we might be different because God has made us new. He's in the business of making our lives new. We might be like Joseph because while we might not have a lot to say, we're going to do what God asks us to do and just get about the father's business. We might be like Mary who humbly said to the angel, whatever God wants, I'm in. We may be like the shepherds who got over their fear. They were not paralyzed. They would not stay in the cave of fear, but they stepped out and courageously embraced the message the angel sent them. The wise men went home by a different route, and I think they went home as different people as well. My prayer for us this time is that when we go home, we'll go home without fear. No fear. Let's be the people that hear what God says and fear not. You see, we started with that song, Can You Hear What I Hear? And it ends with, pray for peace, people everywhere. And my prayer for you is that you will know the peace of God, the peace of of Christ. And I think that starts, I'm convinced it starts when we say, I'm not going to be afraid. And when we approach life with no fear, peace rushes in. And I pray that for you today. Open your heart to the gift, receive it, believe it. Let the peace of Christ be yours. And Merry Christmas. Join me again next week.